Welcome back to the Text Lab. Hope you're having a great week. And in the Text Lab, every week we take a deep dive into the passage. This week we're in Romans, and our goal is to help you unpack the text so you can be a disciple who makes disciples. This week, I am here with David Crawl, who is a recent wiffle ball champion. David brought home the championship from the men's wiffle ball tournament this past week. Beat my team in the semis. David, how you doing? One of the greatest days of my life. I'm doing really good. Thanks to the wiffle ball. I'm a little tired, a little out of shape, working through some muscle injuries that might have been <laughs> a result of wiffle ball, but uh, I'm here and uh, it's going to be back digging into Romans. That's not a good sign when you're getting injured <laughs> playing wiffle ball. It's true. But I did feel sore. Yes. There was an intense wiffle ball in my defense. Yeah. Um, I was thinking that instead of talking about Romans 11, verse 11 through 16, we could just unpack the championship game and <laughs> you could relive that Maybe for we us. can make a uh, extra podcast, okay. show notes. Yes. So then we'll stick with Romans. So we are in, uh, we're, we're in Romans, Romans 11. 11 through 16, you actually just taught us yes. this last passage, yep. Romans 11, 1 through 10. You want to give us just a little bit of recap of what Paul's been doing most recently in Romans? Yep. So it was actually really fun to teach on this passage because it kind of flipped this passage for me where I kind of came in thinking, oh man, this is a confusing passage of scripture. This feels like kind of a more technical passage of scripture, a little bit more of a dry one that I didn't really understand. And it actually is really amazing what Paul is doing here. And it's actually a very heartfelt, um, it feels almost emotional as he's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters. It feels like he's just really pleading with them about, to accept Christ, to recognize the Messiah. And basically, the, the context that we're in is Paul's really talking about what God has done and is still doing with the Jewish people. And so he opens Romans chapter 11 with just this question of, has God rejected his people? Uh, did he reject them? And he then starts to just show how that is not the case because of uh, Paul's own life and the example that's seen there of how Paul, an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, has come to Jesus. He shows that from God's continued work. He talks about the Elijah story in 1 Kings 19, referencing how Elijah thought he was all alone, yet God had reserved 7,000 people who had not bowed their knee to Baal. That just really showed that Elijah wasn't by himself even when he thought he was, that God was still doing something far greater than he could see. And then Paul really ends that section talking about the spiritual remnant that is still there, that is occurring in the time of Paul's writing of these Jews who are coming to Jesus. Paul being one of them, others in the Roman church, that they are receiving a gospel and a salvation that's not based on works, but based on grace. And so it really becomes this, this section where Paul is still talking about God's continued work in the nation of Israel. That's really what 9 through 11 is all about. He'll transition here in a few weeks when we get to 12. Um, he he ends that section with, with that, that leads into the, the verses that we're going to be in today, talking about um, some in Israel being hardened and not coming to the gospel, not following Yahweh, um, and having hard backs, he calls it, um, a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, ears that could not hear, that gets into some of those election questions that we've been wrestling with in 9 and 10. Um, but then also really saying some will as well. Uh, that really brings us into the engrafted branches that we're going to talk about in verse 11 today. Great. Yeah, so the end of verse 9 from our passage last week, there are these really challenging passages where it talks about Israel's table is going to become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and retribution for them. So he's talking about how some of these Israelites will not accept Yahweh. 
But then the question he's going to get into today is he's going to say, did he's picking up on that language of stumbling block in verse nine. And he's mm. going to say, did God cause Israel to stumble? Basically in, in this complete way, they're going to, they're going to stumble, trip and fall away forever. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to say, no, actually, as they stumble, there's, there's this, um, the, the Gentiles are grafted in, but God's hope is that as the Gentiles come in, that the Jews will, will wrestle with this, yeah. will be jealous and actually want to return home as well. So you want to read verses 11 through 16 for us? Yeah, absolutely. Again, I ask, so he's repeating the question in verse one, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgressions means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Great. So let me try to just break this passage down, share maybe two thoughts. Uh, there, there's a lot in here that, that is challenging when we just first read through it, but there's some big ideas that jump out that I think are important. So one idea that we see Paul expressing in here is God's heart. And so God's heart for Israel right now is that even though they're stumbling, his longing is to see them return. And his hope is that as the Gentiles are coming to join God's family, that the Israelites, the nation of Israel sees this happening and they, uh, your, your translation described it as envy, that they would long to experience the abundant life that Jesus offers. So God's plan, his hope for Israel is not that they would trip into a pit and be stuck there forever. It's that as they're stumbling, his hope is that they see the nation's chasing Yahweh and and they want that too. So God's heart is and always has been for the people of Israel to be reconciled. So just back in Romans 10, 21, there was this beautiful verse that Jake and I were talking about a couple weeks ago. It says, God speaking, it says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And so Mm -hmm. that's still true. God is holding out his hands like this loving father, longing for his people to come home. So that's God's heart. And then God's plan is it, it feels sort of weird to us. It's language that maybe we're less comfortable with, but God's plan is to make Israel envious and jealous. So I just want to, I want to hear you. I think when I first read that, sometimes there's this little ping in my head that I feel like, wait a minute, are you, aren't you not supposed to make people jealous? Is that right? Is that wrong? Obviously, if it's God, we yeah. can trust that it's good. But what, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, how do we make sense of this idea of God wanting the nation of Israel to be envious of the Gentiles who are yeah, coming to Yahweh. Two things. I think this is a beautiful moment to recognize the character and nature of God and his sovereignty, but then also something here about how God is working in our world. The big word for this is soteriology, the meaning how salvation occurs, the study of salvation, that there is a shape to God's salvific work in our lives and in the world. So God doesn't just snap his hands and say, all right, salvation Let me sprinkle this out there for people. He worked specifically through the people of Israel for hundreds of years, calling Abraham, working through this family lineage, 
working through Rahab the prostitute, working through David, working through all these people who who struggled with faith, unfaithfulness to God. He still brought through hundreds of years to bring us to Jesus and the Messiah and what he has done then now on the cross that has ushered in this new covenant for us to now live in and for Gentiles to be included in. So there's actually, I think, first something really kind of incredible to recognize that there is a method and a process that God has worked to bring about salvation. It wasn't just this, he didn't snap his hands right after Genesis 3 and just say, well, that's the end. Like, why didn't, why didn't the Bible go from Genesis 3? to Revelation chapter four. We don't know exactly the why behind the what, but what scripture seems to point at is like God is glorifying himself through this process, that he is showing that he is on the throne, that he's sovereign, that he's king. He's doing all these like redemptive works. And so even recognizing, I think for us as 2000 years after the life of Christ, Gentiles who've been included, that salvation came through the Jews to reach Jesus and now has been comes through us, just right-sizes us in God's big story. It just right-sizes us in this process that has been unfolding and actually makes us come to a place of worship about what God has doing here. And I think that's part of what Paul is talking about here. So two things. I think he is talking somewhat categorically about this envy that the the Jews will have as they see um, Gentiles coming into the fold and coming and being ingrafted in that um, Paul is talking about what is happening at a very high level in that salvation process that Jews are coming in. And because Jews are coming in, Gentiles would recognize that they are missing the gospel, that they are missing Christ, or that they would recognize because um, they haven't believed in Jesus and there would be a jealousy that happens there. I also think he could, though, Paul, very pastorally be talking about jealousy and envy that's happening in the Roman church at that time and talking about Jews and Gentiles in life and relationship with one another and Jews recognizing the incredible nature of what is going on. Think about the Acts 10, the story of Cornelius, where Peter is just flabbergasted that it is possible Cornelius would become into relationship and into the inheritance and receive the gift uh, from Yahweh of salvation. That salvation has gone to the to the Gentiles and to the rest of the world. I think that's some of maybe the awe and the amazement that could lead to jealousy mm. as well if they are seeing what is God doing here? It's a context very different than ours, but I think important to kind of understand and see how that really could lead to new people coming into Christ. And Paul, I think here is talking about just the process of redemptive history that has been going on. Okay. So I hear you saying two things. One is we see God's heart. His heart is longing for Israel to return. And God has this plan to, um, as the Gentiles come to him, that Israelites would be envious. And I hear you on the one hand saying there's sort of this cosmic narrative that's being described that God has this massive redemptive story. And, uh, part of that story is in this moment, Israelites who have rejected Jesus, seeing others partake in the goodness that Jesus offers and saying, I want to experience that. And then also I hear you saying another way we could interpret this and read this is thinking in Paul's immediate context as there's Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church or in, in sort of rubbing shoulders with each other's as Gentiles are drinking in the abundant life that Jesus offers. There could be Jews in Rome who see that and feel like, I want that. Mm. They have found the Messiah. Um, that's really great. And, and just to, yeah, so a couple ways we could think about this. That That's helpful. I think 
the the main ideas I think that are Paul, Paul's hammering here is just God's heart yeah. is to reconcile Israel now and then. The last verse there gives us this picture. He talks about if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. He's talking about Israel sort of being this foundation and the Gentiles being an extension of that. And that picture just gives us a picture of God having a plan, which has always been his plan, for both Gentiles and Jews to be part of his family. And that's that's helpful. Maybe we can turn to implications as you think about your life, my life, our lives today. How does this passage speak to how we live? Yeah, I think for me, like some of those pieces of just recognizing God's heart for all people to come to him that really is displayed in this passage. We read this passage and we, we, we've talked about this before in this section. We immediately think about fairness because we're kind of in the society where everything's based about fairness. I think in the first century, they would have read this passage and been in awe of God's heart and of his pursuit of people who are lost and really in awe of that. I like that, that term cosmic narrative, the redemptive history plan that is going on. And and so that's actually like such an encouragement to me to recognize that God has this bigger redemptive plan that is at work. Mm. Um, most things in our culture and our world tell us that all there is, is your immediate life. And so basically try to gratify your desires as much as you can in this present life, because there's nothing else besides that, which really is this real hopeless narrative um, and leads you, leads you to a very sad place. And so it actually is this incredibly hopeful thing to be a part of a story that has been unfolding for hundreds of thousands of years that has gone through Abraham and the, the people of Israel to Christ and this new covenant and now the church and um, God is not done with the Jews. There is a spiritual remnant. He still is working um, and has not abandoned his people. He has not rejected his people. And so that just that just uh, right-sizes my life in a, in a way that leads me to worship and reckon, helps me just recognize the bigger thing that is going on here that God is doing. Um, but what about for you, Kyle, just as you think about this on a yeah. very practical level? I think I'm reflecting on how for the Israelites in this moment, God's cosmic narrative, this redemptive plan seems confusing. Like mm. we were always the chosen people and now the Gentiles are invited in a different way. It's not that they have to become Jewish. They just, they're just invited in by faith. It's really confusing to them, which is why Paul's yeah. spending three chapters describing what God is doing. And I think of how often in my own life, God's story in my life or my friend's life seems confusing. Like I don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. But I'm encouraged by this passage because Paul's point is basically that God's heart is good and God's plan is good. Yeah. Life is confusing. Yeah. Like my experience is that life is confusing. Life is hard. And even my experience in real time sometimes is that God seems sort of elusive. Mm. But Paul's reminder here is that God's heart is good. God's plan is good. So even when things are confusing or disorienting, there's something stabilizing about remembering that even in the midst of uncertainty, God is good. And that's not, that's not blind faith. That's, I can trust that God's heart is good and God's plan is good because I can look backwards in my own life and point to dozens of moments when God has proven his good heart and his good plan. And we can look back to the redemptive narrative, look at yeah. 2000 years longer. Actually, if we go back to Israel's history, thousands of years of God being a good, good God. So that's just encouraging to me because there's tons of times 
I feel like most of life, when I think about the future, it's like, it's uncertain. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what's Mm -hmm. going on. I wish things were a little different. But there's just a really encouraging reminder Mm. to continue to trust in his goodness. Um, I, yeah, I really appreciate that. I think that hits, especially mindful of a week like this week, where you're maybe especially mindful of world events, of pain and war and conflict, like recognizing Jesus is on the throne, recognizing that his plan has been at work, that it is unfailing, that our lives are a small footnote in his glorious work of redemptive history. It's incredible that we get to even be a part of it, but it does bring like this like stabilizing factor to it. It brings this encouragement. It brings a purpose to live for and be a part of. And I really like what you're saying that we're, we're part of this grander narrative because it's easy for me to think that, yeah, like my life sort of begins and ends with me and mm. I just need to write my own story yeah. and, and write a significant story on my own. But really the, the path to meaning and significance, abundant life, all of that is to join God in his narrative mm. and to trust that it's not about me. And yeah. then all of a sudden I feel like, oh, like what I want to be all about is not like chasing whatever yeah. seems cool to me. It's like, I want to pass on um, I, I want to disciple my children so that there are generations of Lundquists yeah. who love Jesus. I yeah. want to reach my friends who don't know Jesus yeah. so that the kingdom can grow. Yeah. When I put myself in God's story and his narrative, a lot of my priorities, values begin to shift. Mm. I just love that. that. That feels really exciting to try to wake up each day and think, today, Lord, I want to, I want to live in your story yeah. and, and help me to do that. Yeah. So good. Okay. Well, listener, whether you're working out at the gym, cleaning the house, sitting on your riding lawnmower. (laughs) Jake and I were talking about last time that we don't think there's anybody who has ever been listening. No, he told him we had a prize. Jake said he would give somebody a lawnmower if they had been listening to the podcast while mowing their lawn. It's an incredible prize. Uh, Whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to dive deeper into the text this week. As always, we encourage you guys to do your own prep. Yeah, especially this passage. Dig into it. Let the Spirit lead you. And we love you guys. And we'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.